0: Neighbors. Uh, glad to be with you together this morning. We are in a series that we called How Long, you probably have recognized that phrase uh, as we've sung together this morning. Um, and we're really wrestling with the question, and I think it's a question whether you come from a faith background, you, you trust God, you, you want to follow God, or you, you're kind of skeptical, you're not sure God exists. Um, is that if God is in control, why does it seem like the world is so chaotic? Um, if he's a God of love and a God of order, um, then why does it seem like the world's on fire? And how can I trust a God who allows things to, to be so crazy in the world? Can you turn this mic down just a smidge? <clears throat> Thank you. Um, and as we've been going through, um, this this sermon in particular, I try to be conscious of uh, if we have a guest coming in, um, I want to try to explain things in a way that they can pick up. Um, so that anytime a sermon, anytime we have a, a gathering together, the whole thing stands alone. I'm not actually going to be able to do that this time. This sermon in particular is going to build off of what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, um, and I can see by the people in the room that we've been tracking with this. So I'm not I'm comfortable with that. But if you're a guest and you're joining us this morning, um, I'd encourage you to catch up um, on our YouTube page or by our podcast, um, and this this message will make more sense with the others. Um, Because we learned that first week of this series that we lament evil's devastation while we live in light of God's assured victory. We lament evil's devastation while we live in light of God's assured victory. And then last week we talked about we grieve over evil as a healthy expression of our faith in the Most High God. So we lament and we grieve. We've seen that as Daniel has interacted with these visions that God's given them, that his response to those has been, been grief has been uh, physical illness over the spiritual condition of the world that he sees. He's, he's um, seen things that are going to happen, and it's broken his heart. And so we've taken these principles from the text that we lament and we grieve, but I have not told you how. Um. Maybe you're like, okay, that sounds cool. Like, are we going to get in the circle now and sing Kumbaya and talk about all of our feelings? Um, no, we're not. But this morning, um, as we move into Daniel chapter 9, we're actually going to get a great picture of what it looks like to actually grieve and to actually lament. Not as somebody who has no hope, but as somebody who has every assured hope. So I hope, my hope, for us together this morning is that that will be encouraging to you. So, I've already told you we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9 if you want to navigate there. But as we begin, I'd like to invite you to pray together with me. And uh, we're going to pray together the disciples' prayer. It's the model of prayer that Jesus left for us, recorded in Matthew chapter 6. And I just invite you to pray with me, either out loud or in your heart. Um, Would you bow together with me and let's pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been together walking through the book of Daniel, we've seen that it's not in chronological order, and as we turn together to Daniel chapter nine, which is on page 938, if you wanna use these blue Bibles here, Daniel chapter nine, 938, um, and we're, we're jumping again in time. So the last two chapters have been during the reign of uh, Belshazzar, in, in the kingdom of Babylon, and now in chapter nine, verse one, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent, a Mede who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So we're, we've now moved into uh, a different kingdom. Um, did the computer get shut off? Oh, okay. Like. I can go without it, so it looks like we're skipping my pretty pictures this morning. <laughs> I'll try to be really clear about the key principle then, so it's not going to be on the screen for you. Um, so, yeah, so we are now jumping between kingdoms. So the kingdom of, uh, of Babylon was taken over by the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So we've been in the first year of Belshazzar, we've been in the third year of Belshazzar, now we're in the first year of Darius. Um, the, the, the Mead. Okay, so let's read together these first three verses. I like to read these first three verses and talk about a couple of things before we move on. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes so let's let's pause there. Um, we have been uh, kind of following through uh, daniel's life, and this this prayer comes 11 years, about 11 years after the last vision that we read. So for us, it's been seven days. We talked about this last week, Um, but for Daniel, it's been 11 years. Um, Where were you 11 years ago? You were here. (laughs) Yeah, I was not. I was just married. We were living in Indiana um, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. What's that? and I was freezing to death. There was probably snow on the ground where I was 11 years ago. So uh, things have changed <laughs> since uh, since 11 years ago, and, and can you imagine um, having this really intimate interaction with God, um, this very clear vision of what was gonna happen in the future, not really a clear timeline of when that was gonna happen. You've started to see some of the things happen, but you haven't seen all of the things happen, and it's been 11 years since you've heard from God. But we see here that Daniel is in his quiet time. This is one of the, like, we actually have very few pictures in the text of Scripture of somebody having their quiet time, and this is one of them. So Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah in his quiet time in the morning, and as he's reading it, he realizes the, the destruction, the desolation to Jerusalem, the captivity of God's people was supposed to last 70 years. Now, we're going to step back into Daniel's story. Uh, Daniel was a guy who was living in Jerusalem and was captured from Jerusalem as a young man, taken into Babylon and re-educated as a Babylonian. He uh, was there throughout um, throughout the time of the Babylonians, and he survived a hostile takeover by the Medes and the Persians. So he's been taken captive by a foreign kingdom, and then he's survived being taken captive by another foreign kingdom in the same same area. And now he's looking at this book of Jeremiah, this collection of Jeremiah's writings. And we read together in our worship gathering Jeremiah 29, um, verses 4 through 10 together this morning where Jeremiah is watching people leave Jerusalem, and his heart is broken because Jerusalem has been broken down, it's been taken over, it's been destroyed, and he's seeking God. Like, what are we supposed to do? God's people are leaving the land that God promised to give them and promised to establish them. Like, what are we supposed to do? And God says, as you go into Babylon, you need to continue to make a life for yourself. You need to continue to marry and be given in marriage and continue to plant vineyards. You don't plant trees if you're, not, if you're camping. Like if you're camping, you, you carry uh, MREs, you carry rations, you carry stuff that like, is easy to transport. You don't plant a tree because it's going to take a minute before you can get anything off of the tree. He says, as you go into Babylon, plant trees, build farms, raise families, um, and seek the good of the city that you're in. As as the city is blessed, so also will you be blessed. And I think Daniel's a great picture of that. Faithfulness and in his uh, to God and pre- working for the good of the nation that he's living in. And at the end of that, in verse 10, Jeremiah 29.10, it says, this is going to go on for 70 years. And I don't know if this is the first time that Daniel has read this, um, this, these writings of Jeremiah. I don't know if this is the first time that he's heard that this deportation, this exile from the land is going to be 70 years, but he gets it today. I don't know if you've had that experience. You've read something in the Bible. Maybe you've even highlighted something in the Bible, and then you come back to it a couple years later, and you're like, well, I must have read that because it's highlighted, but I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Um, So Daniel is in his quiet time. He's reading the Word. He's in prayer, and he sees this is supposed to go on for 70 years. He starts to do the math, and he realizes, oh, either we're past slightly past 70 years, or we're getting ready to go into 70 years. Now, I'll say, too, the deportation from Jerusalem into Babylon actually happened in three waves. So there were three different um, times where the army came in and took people away. Daniel was on that first wave leaving. And so there's some prophecy, timelines, where does the time start? And Daniel might not know. Did it start when the first people left Jerusalem, or did it start when the last group of people left Jerusalem? So either... We've gone 70 years, we're close to 70 years, or we're past 70 years, like, he's, like he sees the time is up. We've been disciplined, and the time is up. It was only supposed to go for this long, so what do I do? Verse 3, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Um, and I'll just say, too, before we read, we read into it, in verse 4 it says, I prayed to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, my God, and made confession. This is the first time in the book of Daniel we see the name of Yahweh. So remember, I made a big deal back in our series called Faith Over Fear that um, in the book of Daniel, God is always referred to as the Most High God. He's the Most High God because they're in a foreign nation. And the most powerful god in the foreign nation is like the one who wins, and yet Daniel continues to point people to the Most High God, who let His people be taken captive because of their sin. But here, Daniel turns his attention, and this is the first time in the book that Yahweh God, or that Daniel uses God's covenant name, the promise to His people, Yahweh. I'm going to pray to you, Yahweh. All right. So this is this is significant, um, and. One question before we go on. Who is our faith for? Who is our faith for? Daniel's in a difficult situation. He's, he's had kind of a rough life. Like, the, the life that his parents dreamed for him to have did not happen. And he's had to figure stuff out. He's had a long life, uh, more than 70 years old, which was significant when the average age was, like, uh, maybe 30, <laughs> Like, 40, 30, 40 was an old person, and here's Daniel at 70 and realizing, I need to pray for my people. Um, who's our faith for? Was, it, was he, was Daniel, exercising his faith just for himself, as a benefit for himself? Was it a crutch for him to be able to navigate these difficult situations? Was it just for his family? You say, well, mom and dad believed in this Yahweh character, and so I got to, like, do whatever it is that they do, I guess i got to keep the faith because I want to show honor to my parents. Um, Maybe it's like my neighbors. Like, okay, like these pagans think that their God's better than my God, and so i got to stand up for my culture and the people that I left behind. Like, at some point, I think if his motivation was for his family or for his neighbors, um, that it would have fallen apart. But if he's continually serving himself, too... At some point, you've got to say, if my faith is here to make me happy and my life continues to get harder and harder and harder, like maybe there's a problem with this faith thing. Maybe it doesn't work. Who is our faith for? I heard God. That's what I have on my paper. (laughs) Is our faith for God, from God and for God? That's how Daniel can come to 70 years in captivity and still be on his knees and still be searching the Scripture. Uh, here's our key principle for the morning. Did, it, did these come up yet? Okay, that's Daniel. Our key principle for the morning. Our hope crystallizes when we agree with Yahweh and when we seek him. Sometimes, like I, like I prayed this morning, sometimes our, our hope we know something good might happen or we hope for something good and it seems like a dream. It seems like a vapor. It seems like something like, is distant and far away and we can't grasp it. But our hope crystallizes. It becomes real. It becomes tangible when we agree with Yahweh and we seek him. Let's continue. Let's read uh, how Daniel prays in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God, Yahweh my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. O oh, Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept us ready has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. you let me pause there? Daniel turns his attention Beginning, Daniel turns, begins by turning his attention to who it is he's talking to. Um, o oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That, that phrase, that description of God, those, God is faithful and has steadfast love, covenant love, promised love to those who keep his commandments, steadfast love for generations. That's, uh, he's quoting out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. He's quoting out of the Ten Commandments. When when God gives the third commandment that you shall have no graven images before me, he says, I'm the God who is steadfast love for thousands and generations. This is my covenant. This is the promise that I make. This is who I will be, whether you are faithful or not. I will be faithful. He, He starts with who God is, what God's reputation is, how God's been kind. And then he begins to go off through a library of all the ways that the people have wronged us. Now, this is Daniel. I've said a couple of different times that my beef with Daniel is the Bible doesn't say anything bad about him. He's a guy that goes through, and as God tells his story in Scripture, there's no, like like questionable gray area for Daniel. Daniel doesn't ever seem to do anything wrong, which doesn't mean he was sinless. It just means that the Bible didn't record him. And that's frustrating to me because I want to see like the weaknesses of the people that I admire, right? Like, which is, I don't know what that says about me, but that's how I feel. But as you read this prayer, how does Daniel talk? As he confesses sin, whose sin does he confess? He says, I prayed to Yahweh. And in verse 5 begins, We have sinned. We have not listened. To us belongs open shame. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. We have rebelled. We have not obeyed. Daniel doesn't pray for the sins of those people. And this is fascinating, because Daniel's an upright guy. There's, there's no record of him like walking away from the, the straight and narrow. And he was a young man, like young, young, when Jerusalem, when Israel was judged for the sin. Like It wasn't necessarily Daniel's specific sin that he got carried off into Babylon. It was other people's sin that caused Daniel's life to be difficult and yet as he comes to the realization that we we were supposed to be put in time out, quote unquote, time out for 70 years, we're coming around that time he's, he doesn't say, God would you forgive my great great grandfather for their sin, like they were so wicked, have you read the book of Judges, because they were jacked up like I can't even believe the stuff that they got away with, and you kept delivering them and they kept going, and not only did they worship other gods, like they made the graven images they did the things you told them not to do, they killed one another, they were murderous towards one another, they were incestuous towards one another, they were violent towards one another and you continued to come to them you continued to offer and extend your grace and they continued to turn away from you they continued to, to spit in their face they were bad, they were bad they were bad, they were terrible I can't believe that you'd be so kind of them he doesn't say that, he says we are guilty he doesn't make it a separation between the sin of, his, of the people and his sin, he says "If I was there Their sin breaks my heart. I was there. We are guilty. So as as I've encouraged us to lament, and as I've encouraged us to grieve, the first thing is to understand that sin isn't an isolated event. It infects the whole community. And as we see sin in the community and we seek to confess it, we seek to grieve, we seek to lament, that means we take ownership. Those people in my church, they're just so, they're so gossipy. Lord, deliver them. Hallelujah. Lord, gossip has infected us. but I'll, I'll i'll try to get that speck out of my eye before i start or i'll try to get that log out of my eye before I start scratching at people 's specs like we are guilty and he goes through the library of of everything that's God, that god's done in in their people's history and all the ways that they have failed uh, at the the end of the second half of 11, starting there, um, we see, too, that as he prays, he says, like, God, you have judged us, and you've judged us according to what your word was. So if you'll, if you'll jump with me in a time, time machine real quick. We're going to go back in time. I want to tell you a really cool story that you might have missed in Sunday school. Um, as, as God has taken a nation for himself, so he starts with this guy named Abe, just a pagan Average Joe, like really not a great dude, honestly, as the story gets told. Like he's kind of, kind of jacked up. He makes some mistakes. But he says, Abe, I'm going to do something special with you, not because you're great, but because I'm, I'm loving. And Abe's like, cool, I guess I'm along for the ride. And he makes from this guy a, a nation, or he makes a, from this guy a family. Starts with a family. Family with 12 sons. 12 sons all have families. They become a, the tribes Become families, become a nation. Captivity, God's delivering them from captivity. They're slaves for 400 years. And as they come out, God says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make you a real nation for real. I'm going to give you a land to live in. And as they are going into the land, in Deuteronomy, I want to make sure I get the the chapters right. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, he says, Look, when you go into the land, here's what's going to happen. You're either going to follow me or you're not. If you follow me, you're going to be blessed. These are all of the good things that I'm going to do for you. And then if you don't follow me, if you reject me, this is all the judgment that you're going to bring upon yourself. And then, so that's, Moses tells them, these are the blessings and curses. You need to remember these in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. As they go into the land in Joshua chapter 8, they divide the congregation. They divide the people up into two different choirs. So all of the nation is there. They divide them up into two different choirs. One choir goes up on one mountain. Another choir goes up on a different mountain. They're Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And it's kind of like being on opposite sides of an amphitheater. These are two mountains that are facing one another. And as the people go up, Um, they recite to one another back and forth across this valley the blessings and the curses. So as they get into the land, they say, if we follow Yahweh, this great deliverer who has saved our lives, who has delivered us from slavery, as we follow him, this is how he will bless us. And they say, if we reject him, if we go our own way, if we continue to worship the false gods of the Egyptians or we adopt the false gods of the Canaanites, this is the judgment that we bring upon ourselves, the blessings and curses, and they yell back and forth across this valley. It's really, really interesting. And so as Daniel prays, he says, God, you're just in that you've done to us everything you said you would do. You you told us on the front end of this that if we rejected you that there would be judgment that came to us and you've done it. You're true to your word. Which just makes me wonder, are we concerned at all to know what God has said in the past? If what we know about God is that God is true to his word, are we concerned to know what he said? <laughs> it, it It might... It might behoove us to be aware. (laughs) Particularly because our hope for the future crystallizes when we agree with Yahweh and when we seek him. Here, Daniel is agreeing with Yahweh. He says, God, you said all these things. You promised all these things. We did the opposite. And I agree with you that that was wrong. That sounds simple, don't it? God, I agree with that what you said was wrong. The problem is, I'm really good at convincing myself about all the reasons why I was right to do the thing that disagreed with God. When it comes down to it, I'm like, yeah, God, I know I lied, but it was for all of these good reasons. And he's like, hmm, Michael. Agree with me that lying is wrong. Well, I agree that lying is wrong, but this is why I was justified to do it. That's not agreeing with me. <laughs> If it's wrong, it's wrong. Our hope crystallizes when we agree with God. And so I'm not surprised at all that we go into our neighborhoods, we go into our workplaces, we go into our schools, and we find ourselves surrounded with hopeless people. People who have no hope, who say to themselves, I need to just look out for me because if I don't, nobody else will. I got nothing to look forward to. When we go into the world, we see a hopeless people because they don't agree with God about what he says. And did you notice, like, that's the bulk of the prayer. We got one more paragraph that we're going to go through, but did you notice, like, that agreeing with God is most of what Daniel says. He hasn't asked for anything yet. He's just gone through the library. I'm like, this is, this is how jacked up we are, I'm like, God. I can't believe you're even listening to my prayers right now. Let's continue reading in verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. From your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open our eyes Daniel asks for something. He says, save Jerusalem, would you? <laughs> save your people, would you? Please, turn your wrath away from us. Like, I admit, you were justified to do everything you've done, and you have done it to the full. You've given us the 70 years of time out, and now that time is complete. Would you restore us now? But Why? For your name's sake. The nations that surround us are looking at Jerusalem and going, Yeah, that Yahweh God obviously isn't powerless. It doesn't matter that he like does worship in a completely different way, like he's just dumb. Why would anybody continue to follow them? Like that guy's weak. That God doesn't know what's going on, he doesn't do CrossFit. Like, God, for your name's sake, people are talking bad about you. Because of our sin. And you were right to judge us. Like, you're right in sending us into exile, but by sending us into exile, everyone around us thinks that because we have failed, you have failed. And you haven't failed. You're doing exactly what you said was going to happen, but now would you, like, hallowed be your name? Make your name great among the peoples? Whose reputation's at stake in our prayers? When we come to God, whose reputation's at stake? My prayers often sound like it's, my neck is on the line. My prayers often sound like, deliver me, because I want my life to be comfortable, please. <laughs> and yet, a model of lament, a model of grief, takes ownership of corporate sin and puts God's reputation at stake. This isn't in my notes. This thought just came to me. What if Jesus came down and didn't identify with us? What if Jesus came to pay for our sins and said, I'll pay for y'all's sins. Y'all over there, y'all wicked people. The whole point of the incarnation is that he became like us. He identified himself with us. And Isaiah would say he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. It's scary sometimes. I'm scared about the prospect of identifying with other people's sins. God, if I confess adultery that I see in other people, if I confess that, like what if that gets on me? And maybe it's because I haven't quite understood just how clean the blood washes us. Maybe I have enough confidence that Jesus might give me grace, but he wouldn't show it to those wicked people. And if I identify myself with them, then maybe he doesn't look at me in the same way. But my encouragement to us, Neighborhood Church, is that we would identify ourselves with the sin of our community with the confidence that Jesus' blood washes away sin. Our hope crystallizes. It's tangible. It's something we can grab onto. Our hope crystallizes when we agree with Yahweh and we seek him. Now, something really fascinating happens in response to Daniel's prayer. I'm going to read it and I'll make a few comments, but I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. Verse 20, while I was speaking, while Daniel was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, (laughs) see that, my sin? Confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And presenting my plea before Yahweh, my God, for the holy hill of my God. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifices. He made me understand, speaking with me, and saying, O Daniel, I have come, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make strong, a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So, as Daniel's praying, an angel shows up. And it sounds like, by Daniel's description, that he recognizes the guy as Gabriel. Like, I've seen this guy before, we've had a conversation. But Gabriel comes running at him. He came in in swift flight. So, he's like praying, and then he sees an angel swooping in, shoo, diving in like a jet plane. Like, that's startling. And Gabe shows up and says, Hey Daniel, like you're greatly loved. God sent me to come and give you some clarifying information because you're greatly loved. But Daniel was just confessing all his wickedness. He was confessing all this sin. He was confessing all the ways that the people have turned away from God. And that did not prevent God from loving him. Just a note. And then the angel gives this vision, um, which to me like is less clear. <laughs> I'm not sure I completely understand um, exactly what's going on here, but there's a couple of things that are clear. One is that God communicates through angelic messengers. Um, so we see that Gabriel's named here. Um, in verse 24, the objectives of what needs to take place is clear. So God's really clear about what he needs to accomplish. One, he needs to finish sin. Two, needs to atone for iniquity. Three, is going to seal the prophet and the vision, give a stamp of approval, let, let that thing be uh, marked. And um, four, needs to anoint a holy place. So that's, that's what needs to happen, all right? And then he gives a timeline. Seven weeks, or seven sevens, this is where the language starts to get difficult sometimes to chew on, seven weeks, or seven sevens, plus 62 weeks. He says, whatever's getting ready to happen, whatever this, this turnover that's going to happen is going to happen in about 483 years. So Dan, it's been 11 years since the last time Daniel had a vision. The last visions that Daniel had were all about nations rising and falling, and he didn't know what was gonna, when it was going to happen. Am I going to have to sit through all of these turnovers? Like, that sounds like a nightmare. I just want to go home, Jesus. And yet, Jesus, uh, an angel comes to tell him it's going to be 483 years before this thing happens. Like, you're not going to see this day, Daniel. And I don't know if that was a relief to him or not. But there's a turning point that happens in history an anointed one, anointed one, uh, Meshua, Messiah. Somebody who's marked by God for something special, a Messiah is going to come and is going to change everything that's happening in the world and it's going to kickstart the end. The end is going to begin in 483 years. Do we acknowledge Jesus as a turning point in history? We've seen um, in Daniel's visions, like, hundreds of years before they happen, like, God actually knows what's going to happen in history before it happens. And here he says, you got, you got almost 500 years before all of history is going to change. Do we acknowledge that Jesus is a turning point in history? Prophesied, an anointed one, a Messiah is going to come, and everything after him is going to be different, and he's going to start the end. Well, sure, we've got AD and BC. Like, obviously, it's the turning point in history. Like, that's how we do things. Actually, now we do BCE and whatever the other one is. Um, they, they, they try to take, G- secular academics try to take Jesus out of the equation, and yet still, they only have that one turning point in history to go by. Do we acknowledge that Jesus is a turning point in history? So, like, if you're skeptical about faith, if you're skeptical about God, like, here we have a, a vision. Uh, 500 years before Jesus shows up and says, something's going to happen, a person's going to rise, and he's going to be a turning point in history. And we look at Jesus and go, that seems like that happened. He's going to be destroyed, and that's going to change the world. And if we acknowledge Jesus as a turning point in history, I just encourage you to take seriously his words. If he says, I'm the son of God... (laughs) and all of history after him is different, and something about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his promise to return has set generations of people on a completely different trajectory than anything they ever anticipated for their lives, then maybe Jesus has something to say to you. Our hope crystallizes when we agree with Yahweh, and when we seek him. Would you pray together with me? God, there's so much, (laughs) and there's so much that we haven't talked about. Lord, I pray that anything in this time that we've had together that has been my own words and my own opinion, um, that has been uncouth, Lord, I pray that those things would, would be burned up in our memories and quickly forgotten. But Lord, in the times where I have accurately presented your word, gotta pray that those things would be buried in our heart. Would you, would you help us to grieve, to lament, not as those without hope, but as those who have a tangible hope that the God who has been active, <laughs> really active throughout all of world history and who promises to act again will. All our hope is fixed on you that your promises are true. Lord Jesus, would you help us with this? Would you help us to grieve over the sin we see in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our places at work and in our schools? And Lord, as we identify with these people, as you have identified with us, God, would you make us agents and representatives of your redemption and your salvation and your forgiveness. Would you help us to be, as you've called us, ministers of reconciliation between those who are far away from you and you. By your spirit, according to your word, would you go with us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Take a few minutes and reflect on how God's speaking this morning, if there's um, something that you need to write down, um, then please do that. Um, but we'll just take a few minutes in quiet before we close together and singing.